0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
1: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. Kara Cooney with us. Let me tell you about Kara. Kara is a best-selling author. Her book, The Good Kings, a dynamic speaker and professor of Egyptian art and architecture at UCLA, specializing in craft production, coffin studies, and ancient economies, She's produced a comparative archaeological uh, television series entitled Out of Egypt, which is on Netflix right now. And her book, again, as I just mentioned, is called The Good Kings. Kara, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: I'm looking forward to this. And uh, Egypt has fascinated me. My late father was born in Cairo. We're not Egyptian, but that's where he was born. And I was just fascinated by Egypt since I was a kid. So that's what
0: extraordinary why was he born in Cairo?
1: That's where well, they're Middle Eastern and uh his mother was on her way to the United States via Egypt and uh there he came. He was right that's
0: there. Amazing. Yeah.
1: They stayed they stayed until he was six. Actually. You know,
0: I just my mother just did a DNA test and it turns out I've got like 5% or less of of Egyptian Coptic blood. So I'll take it too.
1: That's why you're interested. See, it's it's genetic, I know. isn't it? It's genetic. I mean, very comprehensive book, by the way, with the good kings. Let's go back. How far back do the pharaohs go?
0: They go back to 3,000 BCE and maybe even farther. It, it depends on how you understand the idea of kingship and how you understand the consolidation of the world's first regional state. So if we, if we give it that definition, the consolidation of the first regional state, then we'll say about 5,000 years back, which is, you know... A long way when we think of the United States being only 250-some years old, but not that long when you think of the entirety of the human species.
1: Was this a family dynasty? where the pharaohs all related consecutively?
0: Each dynasty was meant to represent a family, and the farther back in history you go, the less our understanding of the dynasties really reflects what was actually happening. But the, the dynastic system that was recorded by an Egyptian priest, Manetho, in Greek in the 4th century B.C., it, it still holds up. We still use it. And um, each, yeah, the first dynasty is one family, and then second dynasty is another family. And if you like, you can think of it as like presidential administrations. You know, when the new one comes along, they're like, we're not anything like the last one. Dynasties were kind of like that, too. So the second dynasty wants to differentiate itself from the first by saying, oh, we're not going to do any of that human sacrifice that the first, the first dynasty did. And the fifth dynasty is going to be like, we're not going to build any of those crazy monstrosities of pyramids like the <laughs> fourth dynasty did. So they try to you know, mix it up and change it and be different.
1: How long do they last generally per dynasty?
0: You know, the dynasties are going to last anywhere from... 30, 40 years, depending to the longest dynasty is the Ptolemaic Greek dynasty of 300 years. So it it depends on how long-lived they are, how good they are at fighting and consolidating that power, and also how much they engaged in incest or not, because incest works really well short-term, but it's not a very good long-term solution for maintaining genetic health and power over the long run.
1: Were there many battles and wars during those eras?
0: There were, but not as many as you would think in Egypt. You know, Egypt is a really special place because it's got desert on two sides, maybe three if you count the Sudanese side to the south and then the Mediterranean Sea to the north and so until the Iron Age Egypt is really protected from external invasion and then you've got that Nile carving its way through the valley, which means Lots of kernel, nice, juicy, fat kernels of of barley and wheat for lots of ample food. You don't have a lot of internal aggression either. Everyone's pretty fat and drunk all the time. And so you put those two things together, compared to West Asia, the Levant, Syria, Mesopotamia, or compared to Greece, or compared to Rome, or even compared to China, Egypt is pretty cushy. And for the Bronze Age experience, it doesn't deal with a whole lot of warfare or war lordy. But once the Iron Age comes along, all bets are off, and Egypt really gets passed from empire to empire and is no, it has no hope of really keeping these empires at bay. And only since 1952 has it really been able to, to keep out of imperial grasp itself.
1: Kara, why are we so fascinated with Egypt?
0: Well, it's about power, isn't it? And we want some of that, and we want some of that continuity. When you look at a place that is able to last for 3,000 years, more or less, with the same language, same religious system, same political system, same cultural ways, that's something that we are attracted to. It's something that we understand viscerally, and we we want some of that. When, When you see that kings are able to bury themselves in coffins of solid gold with all of these treasures... This is power we understand, and as I explain in the book, The Good Kings, I am claiming that our system is not very different, and we can claim all kinds of modern exceptionalism, but our system is much closer to the ancient Egyptian mysteries and magic, or the appearance and optics of mystery and magic, than we would like to believe.
1: You examine Five Kings in The Good Kings book... In uh, this reign lasted then over what period of
0: time? Of all of them, yeah, I start with Khufu of Dynasty Four, and he's about 2500 BCE, and I end with Taharqa of Dynasty 25, and he dates to around, I would say, seven, like 650 BCE. So it's you know it's a pretty good run between the five, and then the kings in between. I talk about Simwastra, at the third of Dynasty 12 and then Akhenaten of Dynasty 18, and of course, Ramses the Great of Dynasty 19.
1: And then what happened after the Five?
0: After the Five, you get the Iron Age, the Age of Empire, and really it starts with Taharqa, because Taharqa of Dynasty 25, he's a Sudanese king, a Kushite king, and he takes Egypt into the Kushite Empire, and that's the beginning of Egypt really getting passed from empire to empire, because after Taharqa, You get the Assyrians coming in, sacking Memphis, sacking Thebes. And then after that, you get the Persians coming in, then Alexander the Great. Um, I skipped the Neo-Babylonians in there because you have Ashurbanipal coming in as well. Um, Oh, sorry, he's Assyrian. You have, um, oh, who's our, we're going to skip it. But then after Alexander the Great, you're you're going to have the Ptolemaic Empire of the Greeks and then you'll have the Romans coming in, and, and then after that, you'll have the Arab invasion, and then after that, you're, you're going to have um, European invasions. So, you know, Egypt ruled the world, much like when you look at Italy and you're like, my God, look at that. They, they, you know, the Romans ruled the world. And then after you go on that downward slide, you see the decrease in power of a place that, that once was extraordinarily great, and... It's almost like they become fat and happy in mm-hmm. their ability to wield that power, and then they're not as competitive when when the secondary states come along that they have helped form. Those places come and, and take them over in turn.
1: What yeah. was the period where Moses and Israel left Egypt?
0: I put that section into the Ramessid period, and I really like to talk about the Israel and Moses period within the 19th dynasty, I think it fits there best because if you look at your Exodus story and you look at the city that the Hebrew slaves are building with the bricks without straw and all of that, it's the city of Pithom P-I-T-H-O-M as, as is written in many of the the Bibles. And that city is almost certainly p Ramses or Pair Ramses, the house of Ramses. And that would have been the capital city in the Northeastern Delta and uh, it, it also fits with a stela. Uh, it's kind of a big marker of a boundary that Merneptah, King Merneptah, son of Ramses II, set up. And he claims to have conquered the people of Israel. And at the very bottom of the stela, the people of Israel are mentioned for the first time. They're mentioned as a tribal people on that stela. And it's, it's very interesting to see how the exodus... Biblical record matches up in many ways with the Egyptian formal record.
1: We'll get into that now. Khufu started the, the Great Pyramid of Giza, right? It was under his reign.
0: Yeah, and, and it's an interesting thing that it was his father Snefru, the first king of the Fourth Dynasty, who went through all the trial and error of creating these pyramids. He built three pyramids that, if you put them together, would exceed the Great Pyramid of Giza in in volume and probably in height as well. And
1: how long did so, it take to build them?
0: It's not exactly clear, because you don't know exactly when these kings came to the throne, or exa- you know, you're dealing with what's the last rain date that you have for a particular king. But it seems like it took about 25-some years to build one of these things, and that a stone was placed every two minutes. Um, remember, we Egyptologists still do not know how these pyramids were built, And as I say in the book, that's exactly the way the Egyptians want to keep it. Oh,
1: we suspect they had great technology or extraterrestrial help. We've talked about that on the program before, Kara. It's an amazing possibility, isn't it?
0: Well, you know I have to speak against this, because the extraterrestrial help, what I would say is that the ancient Egyptians are building a weapon of stone, and they want you to think that this 50-story mountain of stone is superhuman, beyond human, something that humans couldn't possibly have done. And as soon as we fall into that propagandistic trap, we're exactly where the kings want us to be. As soon as we think that it can't have been built by human hands, then the king who built it becomes superhuman in our eyes. And that propaganda is still working on our, our human minds today. It is a veritable weapon of stone. And just because we don't know exactly how it was built doesn't mean that it can't have been built with human technology. It means that in the same way that we don't release our hydrogen bomb blueprints to the world, the ancient Egyptians weren't releasing their pyramid blueprints to us and to everyone else because they want it to be a miracle. And it still works. still works very well. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.